Critics are calling Charles Cumming the heir to John le Carré. Uncover the truth in a divided spy from New York Times bestselling author Charles Cumming. Booklist gives a divided spy a starred review calling it an airtight espionage plot full of unanticipated twists. Read A Divided Spy by Charles Cumming. For more information, visit adividedspy.com. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he's got the strong box. It's Andy Greenwald! I just want to congratulate the Atlanta Falcons for winning last night. I turned off the game midway through and I was like, it's a blowout. What a victory for Penn Charter's Matt Ryan. What a victory for local Delco boy (laughs) makes good. Matty Ice! Oh, man, don't tell me about win probability, Greenwald. I don't believe in the numbers. I love nights like that where you think the good guys are going to win and then the bad guys win. Um, good nights. So we got the Super Bowl. We have all the pop culture ephemera coming out of the Super Bowl. A lot of ephemera some coming out of it. trailers to discuss. Mm-hmm. Some just, uh, we talk a little bit about the ads. We can talk a little bit about the just the vibes. You and I were born this way. And uh, Lady Gaga, of course. And then we were also going to talk about 24 Legacy, which got the after the Super Bowl slot Though at 11 p.m. Eastern mm. time, so it's not quite as prime as they wanted it, I, I don't think. No, but they definitely had the eyeballs. I, 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 they were not happy about that slot midway through the game, well, and then I bet they were pretty psyched uh, like, after. In, outside of sort of the larger New England area, Metroplex. slash Bill's house, yeah. their eyes were probably bleeding. So sort of, they had the eyeballs, but they didn't necessarily <laughs> right. have the attention. Yeah, it was sort of a vegetative state behind yeah, it. So let's talk a little bit about... Um, Which we do. Do we have any other house cleaning to do before we get into all that? Like... We have a book club coming up soon. Oh, that's right. David Downing's Zoo Station. We really are doing this, guys. Snitch Butler's book club's going to happen. Yeah, so it's the first book in his John Russell series. It's set in 1939 in Germany, and it's about a British uh, journalist living in Germany uh, during the rise of Hitler. Just about a dude trying to fight fascism. Yeah, and if you are into, uh, you know, John le Carre or Alan First, it's really cool. It's a a really easy easy read. We're going to probably have our pod discussing the book first week of March, Mm -hmm. but if you have read it, or if you're reading it and you want to tweet discussion points, yeah. questions, yeah. tweet them at the Watch Pod. <laughs> tweet them at Martha Stewart. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and and we will cover those in that podcast. We're excited to talk books. Yeah, I'm really I'm really excited for that one. Um, so let's get into the Super Bowl a little bit. Obviously, you know, I was reading Ian Crouch's piece about about the Super Bowl advertisements in the New Yorker. Uh huh. And uh, by the way, can you say that again just for posterity? Well, no, because it's just like, you know, 2017. So the New Yorker (laughs) did a best Super Bowl ads blog post. Sure. Got to keep the content. Um, And he was talking a little bit about the the Budweiser ad, which was sort of the most Mm. controversial ad by a larger company. I think the lumber one was was. Big night for old businesses, by the way. Lumber came in hot. Oil making a big splash. <laughs> yeah, oil was like, we promise. Yo. It's okay. <laughs> I know. Oil's like, did you know that you could wear makeup with us? Um, Where was coal at, by the way? <laughs> coal? Yeah, why didn't coal advertise last night? Uh, coal's like, we're good. <laughs> coal's, coal's like, like, we don't have to coal, advertise. Coal's like, P.S., we're bad. <laughs> yeah. We're real bad. Um, so the the Budweiser advertisement, which uh, mm-hmm. depicted apparently a, a fictional depi- depiction of um, Mr. Mr. Anheuser? You mean he wasn't that or hot? Or Mr. Bush. I don't know if it was Anheuser or Bush. Coming across the country in the 19th century or whatever and... and uh, <laughs> whatever. You're really yada yadaing this it, ad. I'm sorry I didn't do my my, uh, my deep wiki read of the origins of Budweiser, but he, he goes across the, the, the plains, hits St. Louis, there's a guy in a bar and they're like, let's, let's make a beer company. He had some trials and tribulations on the way. <laughs> 
And um, they did this ad in the wake of um, yeah. everything that happened with the Trump administration and the uh, the extreme vetting mm. uh, that was introduced or, or or strengthened or whatever. And uh, it turns out, you know, that these guys, the guys at Budweiser were sort of like walking it back a little bit, like being like, it's not a political ad. Cool. Yeah. Um, which was sort of. You know, this is the game you play, the dice roll you make when you are stepping into a politically charged time. I think that you can't help but make everything you do. And this is a point Crouch makes. I don't want to sound like I'm making this up, but everything you do is going to seem partisan. You know, everything we say is going to seem partisan in some way. That's fine with me. Yeah, I know. Yes, but it's it sort of the biggest takeaway I had from last night. Uh, Jim Ponowozik, the um, TV critic for The Times, tweeted this. He was just like, it, it says more about the state of the world where advertisements that are essentially about basic human decency are suddenly political. Yeah. And I think for me, it, was, it wasn't really a lesson in big companies suddenly becoming liberal crusaders or joining the resistorhood. It's really more about a truism that I think may, is still true. I do not think this is fake news that – you, the most successful strategy for brand building and for advertising is to cast a wide net. Mm-hmm. You want to be seen as open and inclusive. And again, I'm trying to depoliticize those words. You want to, your product to appeal to many people. You want to tell a story about the product. And if the story is, you know, um, let's let's pull up the ladder behind us. Let's shut people out. Like that's not really a successful advertising sure. strategy and never has been. Yeah. So, you know, we also have to remember we're talking about ads, which do matter a little bit. And then also, um, you know, Audi, Ran an ad last night about like you know let let's 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 let women let's let women drive the cars right. let's put women in charge and then someone someone cleverly posted an image of their executive board which is just all seven year old dudes named Gerhard and we're, are, I don't want to be, get sued for libel but aren't all those dudes like how do we put fake engines in these cars no, that's that's Volkswagen <laughs> aren't they all all owned by the same company I don't think so I mean the same company being Germany no like Audi Volkswagen isn't that like part of a conglomerate I, I feel like we better find that out before we start. <laughs> Shitting on Germany. Look, we're already reading Zoo Station. This is welcome back to Top Gear, the podcast. No, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Audi <laughs> issues recall. Fire hazard and engine. Okay, wait. Workers strike. But you know, at least they've got. Uh, at least they're with her. You know what I mean? He, first of all. <laughs> I really like the idea of your – this is this shows our level. Despite now we both live in Los Angeles, our knowledge of car culture is you're like, weren't they putting fake engines in it? Like, were they putting in a beehive? And they're like, no, that does uh, – that is an engine. It's got a little gnome on a, on a hamster wheel, right? Just crank it up. He just keeps going. Yeah, so so you have to – so we have to make that, that split, like reality versus the perception. But the perception, I think, does have um, particular import in mm-hmm. this moment. But, you know, I, I, I this is – a podcast is not the place, I think, for a plea for basic sanity, let alone basic humanity. Yeah, but of course like, not. But like the Budweiser. Do you ever the, notice how much we talk about television? I don't think basic sanity a, a, a is a little in bit. Our, our but bag. Budweiser is just like, man, this is a country where a handsome white German man can make a product wow, like we're beer. Really getting after the Germans. I'm just today. saying, it's just like. Can't we agree that that's a thing that was okay? Like, that happened, man. Yeah. People came here and they did some stuff. Um, I think that what you saw was there's a couple of different tension points, right? There's a It's a sport and a league that people view as monolithic and some would say even conservative. And Some some might say. I'm just, being, just playing <laughs> fair here. After, after I, I disparaged Audi, I just want to just come with just the facts. And then you've got uh, these advertisements, which are actually – 
uh, in contrast to to the event itself, I think playing to like a little bit of, knowing kind of that a lot of people who maybe don't watch football don't every week it, right. are going to be there. And then you've got the halftime entertainment, which is Lady Gaga, um, who is obviously a champion of um, LGBT rights and is yeah. uh, somebody who's been very outspoken about sort of progressive causes to, yeah. to, to, to sum it up. And I don't know. What did you think of her performance? Um, it was fine. You know, I, I, I was pretty surprised. It seemed to have gone over very well, which is good, good for Joanne. Yeah, I think so. I think that there were people who were rightly saying that, like, she skipped the chance to make a very well, explicit statement. Well, there's two things. Let's let's separate the, the politics from the performance. Just purely in terms of a halftime show and a performance, I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. It was a B, B plus. She is a very strong performer. And I mean that a little bit. Um, not all positively. What I mean is, she 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 shows her work. You know yeah. what I mean. She puts in the effort. You see her sweat. Which she's is, a theater kid, which yeah. is fine. She's a theater kid, and she she's going for it. And you know, she jumped off of the top of the stadium and then jumped off of a platform. You know, she was flying around. She was working. She played. She had she had someone bring her a gold guitar in the middle of the set. Yeah, like this was a lot of effort. So a plus for effort. Um, I feel I the same way. It, I feel the same way about her songs. Like she has, she has some hits. There's no question about that. Yeah. But even her best songs, um, you know, even even like like Just Dance or Bad Romance, like they are also they're like they're they're just a few guitar solos away from Glee. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is okay. Uh-huh. But these are not great songs in the pop canon. So I was enjoying it. It was all fine. But let's you know i think i think prince has a couple words for the people who were like this was the best performance ever at halftime yeah i think that uh the what was funny i remember being i actually like used to write blog posts for like mtv like back in the early to mid 2000s Bl- so what how did you pronounce it blog posts blog <laughs> blog posts it's kind of like an audi engine but for the internet um and uh i you know i remember when she was blowing like blowing up like yeah. when i remember when um and they talk about like Back when the music industry could like make something happen, mm-hmm. you know, and just like literally, you all used to talk about this like, with Dashboard Confessional, like the, the idea of pushing the button. Yeah. And it was a really, it was a confluence of Gaga's like really undeniable effort, you mm-hmm. know, to do, to become what she became and Interscope or whoever getting behind her in such a huge way so that you like literally when it at MTV at that time and then on the radio and everything else, like she did everything she awesome. could to be in front of people's faces. Also, wasn't Usher kicking up off her? Like, Akon. It was Akon, yeah. right? Yeah, man. Akon. I was like, which early 2000s star? <laughs> Akon cashed the check. Yo, Akon, God bless. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Every She sold like 15 million records. Yeah. It's a good look by Akon. Yeah, man. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the trailers from last night. Uh, wait, but we, but we moved on. Did you... How did you feel about her relative silence uh, when given that live microphone? I mean, my first I, I mean, thought was... I think was, that Gaga herself is yeah. a statement. Yes. Um, I think some of the things that she talked about in her songs that she played last night are in, the, in and of themselves statements. Yes. And short of disruption and, you know, record scratch, you know, and now I want to tell you guys a little bit about something. Or she, I mean, I suppose she could have... Covered some, I, I you know, I, I, mean, I just she did. Don't really she did this land as your. She did from, this land as your land a little bit at the beginning. Yeah, she did born sure. this way. I, there were some let, subtle hints like let, throughout the broadcast. Let I mean, me like, let me also Skylar be clear about sisters saying you know and crown that good in sisterhood or whatever. That was good. Yeah. Well, you love the Skylar sisters. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> Peggy. That, that's yeah. preaching to you. Um, yeah, I, I, I am not a fan. Like, here's the thing. I part of me 
wanted something more to happen in that moment. Um, but also, remember when MIA like flashed the bird? Uh, you know, yeah, right. That was lame. Yeah, like that was stupid. Like that was not that punk. That was just like right. What 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 are, what are we doing? You wanted here? Gaga to come out with an upside down American flag <laughs> yeah. and, do, and do bulls on parade. I, I wanted and I do wanted down on rodeo. I wanted her to bring out a like uh, a uh, furry plush a plushie of like Pepe the Frog, and I wanted her to punch him like live on stage. No, it's just it's it it was fine. I mean, she it was a. She she did she did her performance yeah. she did her thing I, I guess what I to, to what you were saying born this way is an anthem of LGBT pride yeah uh, I wish that had been more of the centerpiece just because that is who she is that is the the show that she usually does so I wish she I wish the, I think the best of these shows the best of these halftime shows uh, you know definitely nod towards what they're doing you have to run through the hits you have to have a big spectacle. But they, the best of them bring the essential something, the essential whatever it may be of the performer to this party, mm-hmm. crashes it in a way. Um, so I wish I, I wish there had been more of that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the trailers. That you, you don't want to talk about the lumber ad? I mean, who well, knew lumber? I actually have a thing about was, the lumber ad that has nothing to do with the content of the lumber ad. Yeah, I want to talk about how – is lumber just been just been caking so up this whole time? So it's always kind of interesting. Is it, big lumber financed by Akon? Uh, well, actually, I do want to talk about the lumber ad for a second, but not because of the story that it tells, which is very powerful, albeit for a company that cuts down trees. But <laughs> I mean, like, I guess we need wood, right? Nobody's <laughs> perfect. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the visual style of it, because I, one thing I think yeah. that, y- you know, you notice after a while is how, um, you know, that was shot in like it, as if it was like Beasts of the Southern Wild or Anthem Body Saints. I mean, it had a kind of pop Malik. Yeah. feel to it. It was directed by a guy named uh, Cole Webley, who has done a bunch of other spots. He did like a ad for North Carolina's tourism that is like people on a mountain, uh-huh. and they're like, what should we do next? And this dude just unfurls a scroll, and the scroll goes like all through North Carolina, and it's just like through all the things you can do in North Carolina. Can we just start recapping that? Yeah, let's just recap different tourism board ads. Um, my point being is that it's interesting, it's always interesting when you see uh, what is considered... Um, not you know not avant-garde but it's just the co-option of anything that mm-hmm. is sort of uh progressive in the arts eventually will wind up in a in a commercial you know and that's that's been happening for decades and decades i mean that's for sure but it that was a very humanistic naturalistic but very composed look at life that you would see in you know whether it's um yeah, you would see it in, in any number of movies. But it, what I appreciated about it, politics aside, was that it was quiet. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's interesting to watch. It, it, you know, if you're spending, if the companies are spending this much money for ads, on some level, you know, the, the GoDaddy model still makes sense. It's just like, tits and explosions. Like, we got to get their attention and give them what they already want. Yeah. And that was the ad for like, there's literally a game about how tanks are cool, I guess. Yeah. And Mission Accomplished, man, I now know that there is a game I can get on my phone, which is just about tanks. Just tanks. But in the same, and there was that other ad where it's just like, uh, uh, um, you know, models and, and Cam Newton like playing against uh, Pee Wee. I think it's just Cam Newton playing against the kid and then yeah. the models on the sideline. Right. Miranda but, Kerr. Miranda Kerr. But it's just like, it's just noisy and it's goofy and there's celebrities in it. So I, I appreciated the, I appreciate the ones who are just like, you know, we're just going to. We're going we're gonna to pull a little reverse move here. Sure. Quiet, we're going to quiet things down for a minute. Ladies' choice. In, in any other year, you know, the fact that the Coen brothers made a Mercedes <laughs> ad that basically deflated a countercultural message of Easy Rider would have been sort of noteworthy. But this year, it's kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. Which I mean, they did do that. 
it 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 was interesting. I I I think the whole night, and we, and we, I know we're gonna talk about the movie trailers, but it was interesting to me in the light of, and this is. I'm sure a bunch of people read this. I, I hope they do. Uh, Brian Curtis's piece on the Ringer about like the end of the stick to sports era. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is always political. Everything is always political in this country. And then the only thing, and it's even political every year during the Super Bowl, even in less contentious times. Yeah, I don't think for, pe- for people to be like stick to sports. Let's just watch the game. Can't this just be the, our one break? I'm sure break people from are it. saying that right now while we're talking. Well, they are. But I'm saying even saying that is political because. It, it all is. And so I thought that was interesting to have the scrim torn away basically last night and everyone was openly rooting, not everyone, many people were openly cheering on this game in a ridiculous partisan fashion, even though, you know, I, I really don't know how Arthur Blank feels about Planned Parenthood. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, I, I would say that you're right. Everything is always political. I think that what's happened in the last three, four months is that the level of engagement from a on a day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute level, with things like policy, with things like executive orders, like people's engagement, their awareness of the uh, mechanics of government and how they can get involved with and disrupt and or promote certain ideas, has like just exploded. So that's why when you say like, oh, well, these ads, they're not supposed to be like they're not partisan. Well, it's like it doesn't matter because we're in living in such a politically charged t- climate. Yeah. And I don't mean politically charged like people are mad. I mean, people are actually literally thinking about what things mean all the time and yeah. whether it's a tweet or whether it's an advertisement or whether it's an advertisement that lacks any political content. That in and of itself is, is a statement. Yeah. So that's just where we are. Shout out to Ian Crouch. <laughs> so let's talk movies. Well, let's talk shows first oh. because I do want to talk about this. Trailers, um, right? I think the peak of the entire night for me because, like, I didn't have really a dog in the like the Super Bowl fight. I was kind of uh, a cheer for the Falcons, but I mean, in the end, it, like, it was sort of just like you just wanted there to be a good game. It was much like the laughing gas on Taboo. As soon as it wore off, I was like, I'm out. Um, <laughs> you were like, why, why, why am I at an orgy? <laughs> um, the Stranger Things ad was awesome. I thought they it was just. First of all, it's just crazy that, you know, now we are in a place where this like Netflix show that came out of nowhere last summer and is now um, I, you know, without any metrics really to well, support my statement feels like one of the shows. I, I, it feels I, like one of the two or three biggest shows on television. I want to say that shout to Netflix's marketing department for specifically that point. They are using the complete uh, information blackout to their advantage. Yes. Now, I truly do think not just from, um, you know, well, actually, yeah, from 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 casual, uh, you know, just talking to people to to actual conversations with people in the industry that Stranger Things is one of the biggest hits they have. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Um, but exactly to your point, because people don't I mean, know. Fuller House is probably a bigger hit. It's possible. Yeah. But they know that by putting on this ad, by 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 shooting their shot. Spending all the money. I mean, they have all the money, so it doesn't matter. But but putting yeah, it on they the, it all to Chris Rock. <laughs> putting it on. Yeah, they might be out of it now. They put it all on the same stage but by putting the show on the same stage as these other enormous productions. Yeah, that is making a big bold statement yeah, of to intent. have this go next to Pirates of the Caribbean and um, Logan and Fast and the Furious or Fate of the Furious uh, is a huge statement. And and I think what it does is you know we used to talk when we were when we were talking about Breaking Bad. You know, I remember when. And all the AMC shows would show up on Netflix uh, a little bit earlier, yeah. almost right after the seasons were over. You'd pre- pretty much be able to catch up. And there was this huge boost because you, these shows would be critical sensations or cult hits. And then there would be, you know, these periods where they would just get binged by people mm-hmm. and they would slowly like the word of mouth literally spread. Well, what Netflix has done is essentially internalized that process. Stranger Things came out. 
it actually was one of the rare binge shows that was able to produce a Westworld-like content factory around it in yeah. terms of being getting its voice out there. You usually find that those first seasons work out pretty well. Like you'll get a lot of stuff about the Daredevil fight scene or some of the stuff that happens in the first or second season of Orange is the New Black. But for the most part, when you allow people to consume things at their own pace, you disrupt the way they also would read about that, that stuff. I mean, that mm-hmm. we basically have recaps of entire seasons of stuff going up on the first day of its availability. Mm-hmm. There's not like the way that this stuff gets parceled out. Um, Stranger Things was sort of an outlier for that. And now, because the word of mouth, much like Breaking Bad on Stranger Things, has gotten so good where I don't, I can't even, I couldn't even tell you a casual conversation I've had with somebody where Stranger Things, about television where Stranger Things hasn't come up in the last year. This is like a, a huge anticipation builder. I mean, Halloween's but, far away, but I definitely think that this is one of the most anticipated shows save Game of Thrones next this year. Let's also say, uh, let's take it a step further. They are turning TV into the new movies. Yeah. Um, they are saying, it just, the way the ad was framed, Stranger Things 2, mm-hmm. and that's what it said, is dropping on uh, Halloween. That's an event. It's around a holiday. We, it's, it's now a date that's associated with the show, and it's well-suited to that show. Um, it's a, it's a very logical way to to promote it um, because, you know, as you said, it's all going to be available then. And so, it's a very quick ad, but they did three really smart things in it. One, they threw the Lego My Ego ad in there to put you in the time, but also to, like, ramp up the sort of uh, nostalgia factor or, the, or even the faux nostalgia factor since a lot of people who were watching Stranger Things weren't alive back when was that, that was. Was that Wayne from Wonder Years in that ad? Was that Jason Yeah, Harvey? yeah. And then there's the kids in dressed up as, as the Ghostbusters, which just uh, completely jacks up this yeah. sort of like fan service idea that these kids are these avatars for our own nostalgia about our own childhood and pop culture. And then the final shot of that Horizon that I think it's I think it's Mike, I don't know if it's Mike or Will looking out the door uh, does something that like if the f- only problem of the first season of Stranger Things was the idea that this sort of evil that was unseeable mm-hmm. for most of the season was kind of vague or undefined that gives it a huge like carrot for people because now they're like there's like a giant alien in the on a, on a red horizon like there's something bigger coming in this season yeah i i think it's i think that was a very smart play i mean i should say and there are months for me to walk this back but i i think it's i'm very dubious about their ability to pull this off i think that in general um you know even the people who are who really enjoyed the first season were like i don't know how these guys did this the duffer brothers like i don't know how they pulled this off i don't know how they made it work despite some creaky things like it really really worked but I think a lot of people, myself included, felt that you did it. Walk away and bring that same sensibility to another story. Or just, you know, continue with Hopper and Eleven or something, but basically let this lie. Because if you go back and try to get this try to try to to, to strike gold twice with, with young performers with the same story, it might be challenging. So I still have serious doubts. Second seasons are always hard. Yeah. Especially when when expectations are this high. But at to your point, the idea of going full blockbuster with it, saying the first season was effective because it was about a creepy infiltration of a few kids in a small town, and now it's going to go widescreen. Now the monsters are big, and now they're on the horizon. Right. That seems like a smart play. I mean, if nothing else, and I don't mean this as a backhanded compliment, these guys know how entertainment works or how it worked in an era when a mm-hmm. lot of us really, really, really were beguiled by it. So my only uh, counter to that would just be that if they are as savvy as they seem to be, and if they are thinking about this more in terms of like movies than seasons, 
I ex- I'm excited for the second part of the trilogy because it's got to be there's got to be a I guess third so. yeah. coming and they oh, have to sure. like squeeze all the cuteness out of these kids while they can. <laughs> it's very true. And uh, I just think that typically in and especially with guys who obviously are as obsessed with Spielberg and Lucas as these do too. The second one has the potential to be sort of dark and sort. I mean, oh, not that the first one wasn't. Saying. Yeah, but get a little empire going. I see where you're going. That's my ho- that's my hope. You know, there was another show that got a lot of burn during the Super Bowl too. Uh, which one? Oh, Legion. It was a show called Legion on FX. And let me tell you, if you guys want to watch a show about a floating baby, it's that's it's not Legion. There is no floating baby <laughs> in the show. That's purely purely the promo. Um, just sidebar. Obviously, I'm excited about the show launching. Um, it debuts this week, Chris. It debuts Wednesday, yeah, February 8th, 10 p.m. This is my own personal mid-roll. You can sit back and I'll do my ad read. Uh, can I? Can we type in the watch to get 20% off our first episode of Legion? I will personally refund you 20% of what it costs you to watch Don't this. Don't say that. It's free. Oh. I mean, if you have cable. Whoops. Pay $200 a month to watch cable. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, some conditions may apply. Um, I'm obviously really, really excited for people to watch this show. Um, I think the pilot is pretty amazing. Um, we are going to talk about it. We're going to find a way to talk about it with everyone understanding that uh, I am the home team on this one. Um, Does Cyclops show up in the first one? Uh, no, not the first one. <laughs> Do you want to continue asking me about the other seven? Um, we're going to talk about it next week once people have, have, have had a chance to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we're not going to have a traditional re-up this week. There will be some episode, but uh, we'll just due to travel, we won't be able to do the sort of recap of Legion that week. Will Cyclops be in the re-up? Uh, no, actually, Thursday's just going to be a one-hour-long letter from Taboo Island. <laughs> <laughs> I think the show I would really like would be a one-hour show where, where you just, to the best of your ability, recreate the phone call you made, you placed to me from Vermont in the summer of 2000, where you <laughs> were like, cable? yo, yeah. X-Men is real good. Do you know about the 12? And I was like, really? <laughs> and then I like raced to a comic book store. Chris was, no cell phones. Chris was out of range. It was a payphone. For like two more, a payphone, yeah. Duffer Brothers. And uh, then he comes back to town, and I'm like, Chris, the extinction agenda is real. I actually had it. And you were like, remember AT and T calling cards where like your parents would give it to you just in case you needed to make a call from like the gas station on the turnpike. And I remember like even into, sorry, mom and dad, uh, even into the mid aughts, (laughs) I would still like, whenever like I can't remember when cell phones got real good, but like there was a point where like there was I, I do remember one time in New York. Like on 34th Street being like, I need to make a call. And I just <laughs> called from memory. You know, like you just got used yeah. to d- dialing the one 800 at number and I, I nailed it. And it still worked? Yeah, wait, so wait. I'm, I'm basically like David from Legion. Did you yeah. dial one 800 ATT and then, and then like Doug from AT&T answers and was just like, how did you still have this number? I've been asleep for 15 years. <laughs> but I just oh, want to be clear. Man, Doug. This dude called me from a payphone in Vermont, got me Hot to trot about comic books, came back to town and was just like, yeah, that's for nerds. So in a lot of ways, I'm responsible for Legion. Yeah. Okay, good you, for me. You owe everyone 20%. <laughs> uh, what about the movie trailers? Any any hot takes from those? Uh, I'm still hype AF for Logan. Yeah. Um, I can't. So far, they've done Johnny Cash, Hurt, and Amazing Grace. So yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe like the wait by the band for the next Ooh, one or something. Like, sure. Take a load off by stabbing me in the head with with titanium I want the middle I want the middle part of Layla yeah that's good that's good uh, don't care about Pirates of the Caribbean never did thought the first one was pretty entertaining first one was very entertaining um, although that was one of those I, if I remember correctly I mean they were all long but like that was like a long movie yeah well yeah. there was a lot of story to tell yeah sure there, that, it's a good theme park ride I I gotta say I will not be seeing that movie I don't care but it looked it, the image of like ghost pirates running on crystal clear Caribbean water 
Nice, nice yeah. use of $20 million. Uh, I have to say that one thing that happens to me every 18 to 24 months is that a trailer comes out for a Transformers movie, and I'm like, what if this is amazing? I'm like, what if this is like Kurosawa meets like these? The, the... Also, Tony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. How many extensions did he need to put on his beach house? <laughs> this is yeah, the year. Like, there's just like a the, like you start driving north and uh, up the one yeah. in, in California, and there's just like a drawbridge that goes up, and it's like, sorry, this now belongs to Sir Anthony Hopkins. Remember a month ago <laughs> when the big redwood that you could drive through fell, and everyone was like, must be the rain. No. No, Tony Hopkins called that lumber company and was like, I want a deck made out of that tree. <laughs> That's right. Did he wake up at the beginning of 2016, like stretch his body and was just like, I love the smell of dirty money in the morning. Like this is the year of Tony not giving a fuck. He had all that money tied up in Audi. <laughs> or. And he was like, damn, right. I gotta make this back. I gotta earn this back quick. Or this is my, this is my, um, this is my hypothetical for the year ahead. And you can, you can help me with this. Do you, did they just gently lead him to a trailer that was his trailer and then open him after he was done shooting Westworld and open the door on the other side of the trailer and be like, uh, Tony, uh, today you'll still be upset about robots and did not tell him it's that he was on the set of Transformers. Um, you know that Mark Wahlberg plays an inventor <laughs> named Cade Yeager in that movie? The same inventor he was in the movie where the trees were trying to murder everyone? <laughs> no, that's, he was a high school teacher of that. Oh, so he's he's leveled up. Yeah. Uh, His hair, by the way. Anyway, I mean, just, but like, you know, like King Arthur is in this movie and like there's just like lots of fights in space. His hair looked pretty good in slow-mo. Wahlberg's hair looks really good. It's interesting. It's weird. Uh, do, you, do you think like, what would you call that late period? Like, no, nah, I'm just going to scraggle it. It's kind of a uh, it's it's weird because it's like basically like hippie Lego hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but I, I I you know other than that, are you going to see that movie? I'll watch it on like my own time. <laughs> That's, what does that mean? I can't go to the theater because I did go to see the f- second Transformers movie in the theater. And I was like, this is the worst decision I've ever made. <laughs> um, and I made some really bad yeah, calls. I was going to say, just ask the guy that, at AT and T. That time you made the call on Thirty Fourth Street. <laughs> I need a cab, Doug. All right. uh, We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about 24 Legacy. Hey, guys, just want to tell you a little bit about the Black Tux. Looking great for a wedding or a special event has never been easier with theblacktux.com. With high-quality rental suits and tuxedos delivered to your doorstep, Black Tux is giving guys a new way to rent. And get this, the Black Tux offers free home try-on, so you can see the fit and feel the quality of your suit months before your event. The best part? It's completely done online. No trips to the tux shop required. Theblacktux.com lets you create your look or choose from tons of stylist-selected outfits starting at just $95. These suits have a modern fit and are made from fine Italian wool, the highest quality on the rental market. If you have any questions or issues, their expert customer care team has your back every step of the way. And after ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. That's a two full weeks to try it on, make sure everything fits. And if anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a free replacement right away. When your event's over, you just drop the rental back in the mail. Shipping is free both ways. How easy is that? Get started now. Visit theblacktux.com slash BSPN and experience a new way to rent theblacktux.com slash bspn hey guys just also want to tell you a little bit about casper casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price supportive memory foam creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce time magazine has named it one of the best inventions of 2015 here's the thing you can try the casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home and if you don't love it they'll pick it up and refund you everything casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it free shipping and returns to you 
US and Canada with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars. It's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. You can get $50 toward any purchase by visiting casper.com slash watch and using offer code watch. Terms and conditions apply. Andy. Hey, man. Jack Bauer back. Nope. No, he's not. <laughs> Jack Bauer not back. He's not. But the CTU is still up and humming. Mm. Still a lot of uh, backstabbing and, and drama. Yo, that girl is Edgar's niece. Don't you know who Edgar was? <laughs> she tra- trained the best. Ed- she she learned got, from the best. Edgar got gassed. Um, we got Corey Hawkins from Straight Out of Compton. Assuming the Jack Bauer role, he plays a guy named Eric Carter, who is an ex-Army Ranger. A lot of, lot of time spent on that name. Um. <laughs> Just a lot yeah, of a lot of man hours throwing darts at the names, um, and gosh, you know, like I don't really know if they're even it's even really worth like recapping the plot to this. I mean, does anybody need to know? I have to say that so I was a very big Twenty Four fan when it first mm-hmm. was out. Actually, not even when it was first out. Twenty Four was one of the original binge shows for me, where it mm-hmm. was like, and that was back when you had to go get the DVDs of the seasons. So it's just you up in Vermont. No, I was in Brooklyn, running up and down Smith Street, trying to find like disc three of season one. <laughs> I just thought it did so many cool things. It was one of the first shows on a network where um, you just were like anything could happen at any given moment. And especially towards the end of that first season when everybody just kind of goes bad and you're just like, what? What? Yeah. Damn, I mean, you know? <laughs> it, it, in many ways, it, 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 it was very groundbreaking in that it laid a groundwork for what broadcast network TV could and should be in this century, yeah. even before it almost needed to be, even before cable had completely took over. It was an event series before we even used those words. It went, it was big, it was noisy, it was ridiculous, and it was, it demanded your attention right. and would go there. And, and by there, I mean all of the places that you didn't think it should or would go. And it was capable of doing, uh, I, I think that the, like the innovations that are introduced, the, the real-time idea and sort of that split-screen stuff and jumping back and forth between a— Also the stuff about bobcat traps oh, man. was really groundbreaking. She, she really caught a bad one out mm-hmm. there in the, the Los Feliz Hills. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so they tried – obviously, a lot of the sort of geopolitical issues that 24 – the original 24 dealt with uh, are, are, are just a wrap. So this is pure fantasy. No, I mean – and this and the show is taking some heat for its depiction of, is of it, terrorism. Is it ready to take some more? Um, I will say this, that the uh, that two of the writers for the show, um, Manny Cotto and Evan Katz, did talk to The Hollywood Reporter a little bit about that. And they were like, you know, stay tuned. Because you might, things are not as they seem. Fine. You know what I want to say to that? Fuck this show. <laughs> Fuck it. You know, in 2017, like maybe they caught an L with timing, but a show about an evil Muslim cell coming to murder Americans on American soil, which, you know, kind of isn't a thing really like this, thank goodness, and is just feeding into a larger narrative of bullshit, bugged me. It bugged me. Yeah. Fiction, that's fine. Entertainment, that's fine. But airing at this moment, it really bugged me, especially because, again, stay tuned. What, okay, Manny, fine. Well, stay tuned. But it, the, the, to bring the show back and do the exact same things with a different person, like I, I found that – in some ways, I found that even more offensive. Sure. Because, look, I, the reason the show is back is because everything is coming back. That's fine. Like you, you have these brands, but you'd like to think – that you that to bring them back, you not only want to like cash in on the name and you want to cash in on the, the the existing fan base, but maybe just maybe you have something new to say. Maybe you have a different way in. Maybe you have a different angle. Like it, this is not a nostalgia exercise uh, in a traditional sense because 
Kiefer was just doing this two years ago. You know, like this is not we're not looking back that far back to the good old days. Yeah. Because it's not just the laziness of the depiction of government or the depiction of Muslims or the depiction of terrorists. What about Jimmy Smith, though? It's I mean, it's it's not about it's it's not about giving dignified actors a chance to just cash in. I mean, he definitely got that Tony Hopkins payment plan to do this show. It's like they sat back. They were like, let's just bring 24 back. But let's think about the mistakes we made. And they were like, did we ever have any mistakes based around young women? Nah. Let's just put a high school girl in it. Let's just put a a a, a plotting teacher That's my favorite plot in the line. stacks. Yeah. I just I, I know that there will be people who are listening who are like, relax about the political stuff in this and, and fine. If you can do that, more power to you. So I will put that aside for a minute to say like, this was lazy AF. This was lazy as fuck, man, this is to the do problem, the same show again. This is the inherent problem with the, the reboot stuff, the reboot culture, is that once you, um, you're not really, if, if you're, re, if what you're doing is rebooting the cast, then you're not really doing anything. So you're just essentially bringing back something under a flag and trying to recreate worse, more watered down sensations that the original gave you. One of the reasons why 24 was so breathtaking when it first came on, aside from the violence or the um, the gray area that Jack Bauer existed in and what he was willing to do to, to sort of save the world or whatever, was the formal innovation of like the editing mm-hmm. and the pace and the way that they compressed time and did little things like this is happening while this is happening. Here's a split screen. And actually having those split screens either be juxtaposing something interesting or actually having two relevant pieces of information on the screen at once. Right. And this is kind of like does some of that stuff, but is essentially like, oh, you know, well, like the the big the big thing here is that Miranda Otto tasers a guy in an office and like that's supposed to be like, wow, it's really good. That happened at the ringer last week. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, to your point, Part of the fun of the early seasons of 24 was the 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 man on the tightrope thing, which is yeah. can they really stretch – can they find 22, 24, 24 hours? I think they did. I think that's right there in the title. Yeah. Can they really do 24 hours of this like this? And the answer every year was no. Every year oh, yeah. it got Every super year ridiculous. there was just some like weird like Jack has to go to like some warehouse to find a thing. Jack like, has to make a call on a payphone on 34th Street. And he puts a guy's Street. hand in a mechanic – like an uh, industrial the, vice for like an, <laughs> half the, an hour. The other thing about it was Kiefer Sutherland really was that dude. He was yeah. really good. He yeah, was and a, I like Corey Hawkins. Me too. this is like you're asking a guy to come off the bench and really, really like – step in and, and, and play in the Super Bowl the, the first night. The thing, about, the thing about Kiefer Sutherland's performance that I think is underrated is that he's so good at being uh, haunted. I mean, that's sort of his thing. That's the way his face looks, the way his voice sounds. So that when he was doing the terrible, horrible things that many people talked about in articles in The New Yorker, uh, he seemed slightly torn. You mm-hmm. could read different shades into his performance, which added to the overall whole. I'm not saying Corey Hawkins isn't capable of doing that. He's a very charismatic, likable actor. But he basically is he, – he's swept up in the larger machinery. The show is the machinery. The sure. show is not about him or his character. I mean, like I was – like I just said, his name is Eric Carter. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not a – that's – I mean, Jack Bauer isn't a thing either. These are just names you came up with to fill a hole in the story, right? And it's – remember the – and like the his dude who's like a junkie, but seems yeah, seems, ben. seems pretty lucid. Gr- ben or Grimes or whatever his name is. Yeah, ben, ben has some Ben has some fairly legit axes to grind. I would say. And I feel like <laughs> he should have been listened to a lot more. Um, also, I do have to say, shouts to Miranda Otto, our Lady of Rohan, 
who just not again even a, a, like literally the same character. The same character also, she played I'm on not, Homeland. I, I'm not saying spoiler. I don't think she's good. What? I don't think so. Guess what? That happens on 24 all the time. There's somebody bad. Guess what? You thought was good, but that, they're bad. That happened on Homeland too. <laughs> the same character. Like that's a weird choice. Yeah. She's a very good actress, and I enjoy watching her. But I don't want to see her Does do the Jimmy same Smith's thing. Does Jimmy Smith ever win the presidency? Like he's been, the, he's <laughs> runs all the time. Did he win in West Wing? Uh, yeah, he won. Oh, good, good for him. He won. Yeah, good for him. That was good for him. Yeah, Matt um, Santos, right? Yeah, Santos versus Vinick, the last decent election we had in this country. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, you just, you just wish it came back with something different to say. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that I have at times come on this show and been like, stop reboot culture, and other times I'm like, oh, you know, it would be really good. Let's bring the West Wing back. But from a financial business perspective, it makes sense to bring back some of these things. But one of the reasons why I am excited at the thought, and this is just a thought because no one's doing this, of them bringing West Wing back or ER back. Not just because I long for the days when we were all watching these shows together and it was super fun, but I do think that there would be some pretty cool things to do now. I mean, if you think about ER as a show, um, what was – to your point about what made 24 interesting is that ER was that show in 95. Right. Like you, it was tr- absolutely jaw-dropping the way that show was shot, edited, presented to us uh, in that pilot. I mean, it's still – Holds up probably. It's also so that what was, could you do now with I, that I think level here's, of here's intensity? one of the things, and I, I this is not really nothing about Corey Hawkins, who I like a lot. But sometimes what we have to acknowledge is that there is a finite amount of combinations of people and characters and shows. Mm-hmm. And what ER did have was like three stars. They weren't when they got there. You yeah. know, Margulies and and Clooney. And to a lesser extent, like Eric LaSalle and, and Anthony Edwards. But what about what about and, Big Abe Ben Ruby and uh, and Noah Wiley weren't stars when they got there, no. but those guys were friggin' celebrities. Sherry afterwards. Stringfield shakes her head <laughs> in disappointment. Um, yeah, no, th- I mean, I th- love Sherry Stringfield. Me too. <laughs> like seriously, I was I I, I really shipped those guys. Yeah, um, I wish those crazy kids had made it work. And it's probably why my antipathy towards Alex Kingston remains to this day. She stole Mark from her. <laughs> my antipathy. Not fair. Okay. Um, no, but actually, your point is kind of interesting because I'm making fun of dude's name being named Eric Carter. I mean, Michael Crichton did not give a fuck about characters, right? Like the ER pilot that he wrote in like 1974. Yeah, the but names, John Wells did. The, yeah, exactly. The names of these, and the actors did. The names of the characters on ER. <laughs> Shout you, out to Doug Ross. You could not do more boilerplate <laughs> names, yeah. right? Like wasn't Noah Wiley's name John Carter? Yeah. Like this dude wasn't even from Mars. Mark and his name Green was John and Carter. Doug Ross. Yeah. yeah the, the, these are pretty boilerplate names and they brought in these great characters from the actors and from John Wells bringing the humanity out of it. Um, I, I just think it's a, it's also, it's a recipe problem. Like, Having an action thriller ripped from the headlines, even ripped cartoonishly from the headlines, that's fine. But, you know, we we criticize Homeland for not being enough 24, and I'm criticizing 24 for not being enough Homeland. It's like, guys, relax. Like, you're both from the same mega overlord. I feel like they should just take a beat. Ooh, crossover? Combine them and make the one best show that you could out of these right. things. Because the slow food version and the garbage fast food version are not working yeah, right, right now. Bring them together, man. Um, we got to wrap up, but I know you wanted to say something uh, on a little bit more of a somber note. Yeah, on a somber note, I just wanted to to, to just to share with everybody um, uh, an old friend of, of mine, an old colleague of ours from Spin Magazine, a great music writer named Mark Spitz, passed away suddenly, shockingly, on Friday night. Um, it is really, truly sad news, um, shocking news, devastating news to a lot of people. Um, I just wanted to mention it here because he was a good friend and a colleague. Um, 
but also a great writer and a great, great believer in the value of rock and roll and the value of writing about things and caring about things. Um, I first met that dude probably my first day at Spin because he was the he was eight years older than me, but he was the news writer for Spin.com before I started working there. And I remember going down. You remember at the old on, on Lex in the old Spin sure. offices, there was like a weird little like sidecar trailer space, railroad car space where the dot com was. And uh, and he was down there like hunched over like a praying mantis, like hunting and pecking like on an AOL message board because he was writing the news every day for this website. And then eventually and then when I took over the website, he, he he was a character. He was not nice to everybody, especially at first. He was always really nice to me, which I was shocked at because I was just a 22-year-old who knew nothing. And he was really out there living this stuff. And he eventually became one of the most important writers for the magazine for basically a decade, writing cover stories. And I remember when he made the – those are the days when making the pilgrimage from dot-com upstairs was a big deal. Mm-hmm. The first – I think it was his first cover story was when he was just like, we should put Axl Rose on the cover because rock and roll sucks right now. And that was kind of a weird play for 99-2000. Um, but it was, one, it was, I think, the best-selling issue of the year because he was like, no, icons matter. These totems of like what rock and roll is – this is a, heading into an era where, where, where Spin was like, do we put Pink on the cover? Do we put Papa Roach on the cover? Mark was like, no, we need to put the Strokes on the cover. We need to put David Lee Roth in, like, in a banana briefs on the cover and do the 100 sleaziest moments of rock and roll. Um, he lived it. And what I mean by that was he always wore sunglasses. He always wore a leather jacket. He took this so seriously. It was almost beautiful in a way that was really touching to me because he thought, he, you know, there's, there's different ways to look at rock and roll certainly and music criticism and writing about art in general and for as much as he was a denizen of New York City of the present moment there was something kind of Cameron Crowe almost famous about it because you know you and I like we wanted to write about music we wanted to work for Spin Magazine we read reviews we read music journalism um but I, I, at least for me like I feel like there was always I mean last week on the show I said I was a big Archie fan you know what I mean mm-hmm. I was not scouring CBGBs. I was not looking for the next big thing. I was not looking for that same trans, that next transcendent moment in the way that my heroes probably were. He made it a point to do that, you know, and never stopped thinking that. I feel like when I stopped writing about music for Spin, I definitely put some ironic or something distance between me and that era when we were just like, this matters. This is a beautiful thing. You know, th- these are the bands that are changing our lives. And I always admired more than anything that he never lost that. He felt like when, when Spin sort of went into its, I don't want to say irrelevance, it just slipped away kind of and became a website and had didn't have as much of a seat at the cultural table as it did, he was devastated. Like this was a tragedy for him mm-hmm. because I think he he still believed in rock and roll in a way that I feel like I feel like I, I, I want to and something gets in the way for me of me of me doing that. Um, so definitely check out uh, his books. Um, I never would have written a book without him. He gave me a book agent. Um his first book was a book about history of L.A. punk called We Got the Neutron Bomb. He co-wrote with Brendan Mullen. It's a pretty amazing, comprehensive book. Um, he wrote books about Green Day and David Bowie. Um, but I would say read his first novel, which is called How Soon is Never. And it is, he would have said it too, it is enormously autobiographical. He was in love with someone else who worked at Spin, and he thought the best way to woo her would be to try to get the Smiths to reform. And then he wrote, he really did this because that's who he was. And then he wrote a novel about it. And it's it's still a great book. Um, he believed in this stuff, man. And I think I think rock and roll and writing about rock and roll it will be poorer without him. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so we'll talk to you guys soon. We'll throw a watch list up 
for you to check out uh, what we're talking about. Probably a different show Thursday. We're not sure whether it's one of our... We have two interviews we're doing this week, so we're not sure which one will go Thursday. And then we'll be back next Monday, and we'll talk Legion and some other stuff. Yeah, we'll catch up on Pope, too. Yeah. All right. Take care, guys. Great job, Bransky. Critics are calling Charles Cumming the heir to John le Carre. Uncover the truth in A Divided Spy from the New York Times bestselling author Charles Cumming. Booklist gives A Divided Spy a starred review, calling it an airtight espionage plot full of unanticipated twists. Read A Divided Spy by the excellent Charles Cumming. For more information, visit adividedspy.com.